This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 14, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Monetary policy and fiscal policy can interfere with price signals, and it's those price signals that help us make all manner of choices in the economy. And once an asset bubble gets going, it takes more and more central bank pressure to get it to stop. Jerry O'Driscoll is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. He discussed asset bubbles and monetary policy at the Cato Institute's Monetary Conference in November. The Fed conducts monetary policy by purchasing assets in order to affect interest rates. It could do so in other ways. It could famously do so, as Chairman Menanke says, by dropping currency from helicopters, but that's not what it does. Now, when the Fed engages in open market purchases of securities, it changes the path of interest rates and the intertemporal allocation of resources. Uh, <clears throat> now, in principle, and I'm going to get right into what uh, Professor Reinhardt just said, but let me just get my point across. In principle, interest rates affect allocation across all markets. In a two-period model, the interest rate is just a, there's the interest rate, and it's a relative price between present and future consumption. In a world of many interest rates, uh, we're talking about a whole array of relative prices for each time period that can, in principle, be affected by monetary policy. And if I have to say so, throughout the discussion, when I say an interest rate, I mean a real interest rate unless I say differently. So in the parlance of economists, money is non-neutral and in many important respects. Now, uh, it's strange that I take, some may think it's strange that I take this position because uh, everybody associates me with Hayek and he's famous for his dictum that prices convey uh, information, that it's price signals that equilibrate markets. But that was only half his message. The other half of his message is monetary policy and other policies can interfere with price signals. They can add noise to price signals and now prices misallocate resources. Uh, that's, that's the part of his work, by the way, that he won the Nobel Prize for. Um, okay, now a monetary policy that pushes interest rates below those consistent with intertemporal plan coordinations raises the apparent value of long live assets and productive processes requiring a long time to fruition. Buildings and construction are preeminent examples of such assets and processes. They take a long time to produce and they, and they produce their services once they're built over a long period of time. By the end of the 19th century, it was a commonplace among economists of all uh, schools of thought uh, to link uh, interest rate movements and particularly construction industries. Now, if you read this older literature, Housing, residential homes, were never discussed much in this, and the reason was that modern mortgage finance didn't exist, and, and, and housing was a kind of separated market, part of this financial repression perhaps. For instance, until recent modern times, commercial banks didn't make mortgage loans. Um, the modern mortgage finance, as we know it, is a comparatively recent development. If you go as recently as the SNL crisis of the 1980s, savings and loans, thrifts, and then uh, what was a separate crisis but related to it, the Texas banking crisis, and then later the New England banking crisis, um, what was mainly being stimulated, what was mainly uh, uh, the asset bubble was occurring in commercial real estate. It didn't yet have this system where these asset bubbles played out so directly in the housing market. Um, in my paper, I actually deal, and if 
I think the paper's been handed out, so it's pages five and six of my paper, with the problem that Professor Reinhardt raises, which is, uh, she raises several problems, actually. One is, well, what is the short-term interest rate that would choke off an asset bubble? Well, as the asset bubble progresses, the natural rate actually is rising. So the short-term rate that takes, and, and I have a computation in there, a little example that I borrow from Hayek, you start out with a 4% rate uh, that makes a project worthwhile, and by the time the project's about to be completed, if it's almost completed, 12% would be the interest rate that would stop the project. So the, it's a dynamic process where if you begin, allow an asset uh, bubble to begin, it's going to take more and more central bank effort to choke it off. So that, of course, the bottom, my bottom line is don't let one get started. It's what uh, Jerry Jordan said in his, in his talk. The way to deal with uh, uh, the collapse of asset bubbles is, is not to have uh, asset bubbles. So I make the case that actually we had just the most extraordinarily easy monetary policy in terms of interest rates. Uh, I mean, it's historically unprecedented. If you go through uh, the 19th century, the Bank of England, uh, from the end of the Napoleonic Wars until the eve of World War I, uh, only very occasionally did the bank rate, the equivalent of the federal funds rate, touch 2%, and it never stayed there any length of time. In fact, there was an old dictum, John Bull can stand a lot of things, but not 2% on his money. Um, and, of course, the price record is very clear. The price level, starting at the end of the Napoleonic Wars and ending on the eve of World War I, was approximately the same, uh, beginning to end. By the way, the, the, the bank rate was exactly the same, beginning to end. <laughs> Uh, so that, that's stability. To think that you can have a fiat money system and play with push monetary policy to have interest rates below what can be sustained under a gold standard where you have long-run price expectations anchored firmly is to ignore history. And just to remind everybody here, the Fed funds rate was a 2% or below for three years, and it was 1% for a year. Okay. Now, markets rely, and, and, and this was a whole third of my paper, so, uh, but I've got to move on to the other parts. Markets rely on various sources of information, not just prices. I've argued that monetary policy disturbs prices and, and uh, interferes with, it makes them inaccurate conveyors of information. The other, the next point of infor important information is the accuracy of accounting statements. It's as central to the functioning of markets as the pricing of capital. And I've just argued mon monetary shocks interfere with the pricing of capital. Accountancy failed to detect the overstatement of asset values on the books of financial inst uh, institutions. And many believe, and I think correctly, that accounting statements today for financial institutions still contain large elements of fiction. Jerry O'Driscoll is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.